when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Powerpuff Girl when I grew up, and now I'm a film executive. Hi, I'm Ben Hanani. Welcome to How Do You Do, a podcast featuring creative guests sharing the nuances of their process. Just a quick reminder to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts is the most helpful thing you can do for the podcast. My guest today is Holly Hubscher. Holly is the creative executive at Anton, a film and television financier. She helps oversee development, production, and acquisitions of the entire Anton slate, including the new Gerard Butler action movie, Greenland, that just came on Pivot. Before Anton, Holly worked at Universal Studios in the film development and production department, assisting on films like Mamma Mia 2 and Malcolm Lee's Night School. Holly started her career at William Morris Endeavor in the motion picture literary department after graduating from USC. Without further ado, welcome to the pod, Holly. Hello, thank you for having me. Of course, we were just saying this is perfect timing to have you on. You have a new movie out, Greenland, and I think that's that'll be a good way to talk about your process and kind of talk through what it is a creative executive does. So can you walk us through like the from the inception, from when Greenland first came on your radar to your involvement with it through release, just so people can get a sense of the whole A to Z process. Totally. Well, so each film is its own anomaly, right? Like each each process is totally different. So for Greenland, for example, it was a spec script, meaning that a writer had uh, written this script on spec, spec meaning speculation. Um, and then producers came aboard, Anton came aboard, a package formed, the director, the cast, so on, and then we go make the movie. But things come aboard at different stages that we have on our slate. So for example, we acquire books. Uh, we just optioned this book called The Roommate, and then we, then we attach a writer, Meredith Dawson, to write the script. Um, while she's writing, uh, we are helping develop and oversee the, the script management. And then we'll attach a director, we'll attach cast, and then we'll either flip it to a studio or a streamer or go out and finance it ourselves and oversee production, oversee post, and then release the, the movie. Um, sometimes packages will come into us. So for example, uh, Mother's Instinct is a Jessica Chastain and Hathaway Hitchcockian thriller that we're uh, working on and that came to us you know, Jessica and Anne were really passionate about this movie called Mother's Instinct. Um, and we came aboard and we're working on that now. So it always is, you know, a different stage when we come aboard. Totally. So everything starts with a script, whether you first saw that script or it was elsewhere and then came to you, it starts with the script. So I'm wondering what, like as scripts are coming your way and you're evaluating them, what are some things that stand out to you? What do you look for as you're as you're going through and and also as a fun aside what does it look like like do you have like printing out the script and notes on the margins do you have like a crazy pdf on your computer what does it look like as you're going through scripts and making your notes totally um nowadays it's really what what is commercial right there's a so much content out there and it's really important to see what's going to cut through the noise so whether that when i was at universal you know thinking about what had to be theatrical maybe this st st story we're looking at is a fantastic story it's really well written but did it have to go be seen in the theaters did someone need to go pay 16 dollars to go see that movie um and currently at anton we're always looking for just commercial material um so and at anton we're genre agnostic meaning that we look at all types of genre it's really just what moves us, our, our, you know, kind of school of thinking is that there's 
such few good content out there that we might as well just try to work on the best of what's out there, no matter the genre. Um, so it's really just what moves us. And then in terms to your question visually, um, I when I first was in the the business, I for when I first started, I would always print a script, and then I felt awful for killing so many trees. So now I kind of do it solely online. Um, and I do, you know, notes within the PDF, or sometimes I just have like an email, a draft up and I write notes. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm wondering how has that evaluation process changed for you over time, if at all? Because I remember, you know, we, we started at WME together, like many other places when you're starting out at a agency or a production company, you're tasked with doing script coverage, which is like the book report. You're given a script and you basically have to come back with a book report because the agents and producers who are slammed probably don't have time to read a 350 page book and decide if it's great. So that that job often falls to assistance like we were at WME. And so I remember back then, I personally, I just wanted to like get it done as fast as I could <laughs> um, and just like get it out of the way. So I, I did a passable job, but I don't think I was thinking as critically as somebody who's doing it day in and day out and has higher stakes like you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, you know, how has that process, how has that approach changed for you, if at all? Or, or were you always super incisive from the get-go? And maybe it hasn't changed as much. No, that's a really great question. I was actually just talking about this with one of our interns about how I, I feel like I've, I've progressed since I was in <laughs> you know, back in the day in college. Um, it, it really is funny. I remember reading some scripts um, years ago when I was an intern and I thought they were amazing and I gave such a consider and I was like, why is this movie not being made? And I fought so hard for it. And I recently, it was submitted to us, you know, never got made, it was submitted to us. And I, I reread it and I was like, what was I thinking? It's so funny how, you know, you evolve. Like it was such an amazing script and it's so great, but it's just such a hard movie to make, you know, in terms of having such a high budget and having such a small niche, uh, audience, it's, you know, impossible. And I feel like when you're, when you're starting out, you're more so just thinking of like looking for good material and things that are interesting to read and captivate you. And while obviously that's so important, you have to look at the, you know, the other elements, you know, whether the direct, the director of the cast are valuable that are attached. If the budget is going to be insane and won't be able to support the project. If there's an audience for the subject matter, if there's similar projects out there, um, there, there's so many, you know, other variables in it, whether uh, just in addition to if it's a good script or not. Yeah, that that's always interesting, like the balance between the art side of it, the creative side, and then figuring out the realistic way <laughs> to get it on screen. I remember I was in a writer's room, one of my first times in a writer's room, and the producer came in and our showrunner pitched the season to him. And I think one of it, the first things the, the producer replied was, this looks expensive. <laughs> um, this sounds expensive. There are a lot of sets. So we're doing a lot this season. Um, and it's, it's interesting. It's like something that I think a lot of writers, I think rightfully so, don't think about um, as they're writing. And I, I think that's a good way to do it where, you know, if you're writing, you know, take your first pass without thinking about the production side. But just know at the end of the day, it's going to come on someone's desk like yourself who's reading it and thinking, can we actually make this? Uh, like, does it make financial sense for us to make this? And how much of that decision how much of that involves like looking up box office figures for comparable stuff or like how much of it is looking at these numbers and metrics and how much of it have you found is instinctual for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, in the film financier side of the business, box office comps are a huge uh, way of navigating 
you know, whether we're going to do something or not. And I, I think everyone has their qualms with it because for example, if there's a movie that's identical to Crazy Rich Asians, odds are the second one isn't going to do as well because Crazy Rich Asians already, everyone already saw it. Right. So, so comping something that's so similar, that was a success. It's like, that doesn't mean it's going to happen again or, you know, or the opposite, maybe things have come out that are really similar, but they all bombed, but this has the right package, the right time, whatever. And it's, right. you know, or maybe there's no comps because nothing has been done that's similar. So it really is a hard, you know, way to go about it. But that being said, comps are really useful in terms of the the cast, the director, the type of material, like how they're doing um, in, the, in the industry right now. Um, so comps are, you know, a, a huge, a huge metric for us, but also just being passionate about what we work on. Like at Anton, we were so passionate about everything we work on and we really, um, you know, every project is a passion project for us. So it comes down to, okay, maybe if we can't get the, you know, there's not good box office comps, whatever, if we're confident about it, we'll, we'll go forward. So let's say you, you have these good metrics in hand, you feel good about the project, how do you then go about actually raising money for it? I've I've always been financed, fine, sorry, fascinated by the film finance side of it. On the studio side, on the big studio side, like when you were at Universal, it it seems pretty straightforward. Universal has a deep wallet; they have money to throw, money to spend. Um, I'm more curious, like at, at smaller entities, and just I say smaller, just relative to Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. A lot of things will be smaller to that. You know, how do you go about uh, raising money? Because I think it's it, it takes a little more work to get it done at that level. Totally. Um, well, so each financier is different, right? So some financiers are individual based. Let's say they have a, a millionaire father, billionaire father, or yeah. themselves <laughs> are a millionaire, billionaire, and they can just, you know, write the check in and, yeah, and uh, produce the movie. Um, Anton, we have a fund. So we already have you know, the money raised, I guess. We have um, individual investors, we have, you know, a bunch load of investors. So, and then other financiers, uh, like you were saying, they they kind of go out and raise the funds based on the movie and have to, you know, pitch and whatnot. So there's all different ways to to raise the funds. And uh, for us, it's more about, you know, how we want to spend the money that we have. That's interesting. So it's, it's a little more structured than what I had heard before of other financiers. So you know going in kind of how much money you have to spend. Um, and how, so I'm curious, like, do you have this, do you have a game plan basically like one year out, two year out? You have, I'm wondering, does it, is it like, okay, we have X amount in the fund for the next two years or is it a little more complicated? It's a little more complicated than that. And I, to be honest, you know, aren't, I'm not really on that side of things in London. We have uh, our finance team and I'm more on the creative side. So it's more about, we have these, you know, uh, limits we'd like to, we'd like to hit and we'd like to, you know, make this X amount of movies this year and whatnot. And we just try to reach that goal. Right. So, okay. So you, let's say you guys, you guys green light a project. It, it, it checks all the boxes for you. How does your role evolve throughout the process? If you want, you can tie it to Greenland. If you want, you can tie it to another project or just speak generally. But it, it kind of reminds me of like, 
like an architect is involved the whole way of a house. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a film exec is also in, in a unique way, similarly involved A to Z. How does your job change? Because in the beginning, you might be evaluating a project to see if it's you know financially viable and then it gets greenlit and then you have a whole different role in the project. So what, is, what does that look like for you? Totally. Um, exactly. I think people are kind of always shocked to realize that the film executive isn't just involved in development. We're involved until, you know, the movie is premiered. Um, so for example, for Greenland, that means uh, watching dailies. So every day uh, that we are in production of a movie, all the executives, the producers, whatnot, they get daily sent to them, which is all the, all the cuts, all the angles, everything from that day. And you know, my job is to go through and basically be like, what's work, uh, you know, what's working, what's not working, um, things to keep in mind for tomorrow and, and other things like that. So watching the dailies every day um, and then in post-production, watching the different cuts. So, you know, watching the cut and giving notes is the, is this scene not working here? Should we trim this space? Does this dialogue, is it hard to hear? Um, you know, what kind of music are we looking for and whatnot? So, uh, Greenland, you know, it was such a great process in that our director, Rick Renoir, is such a fantastic director that it, you know, it was such a, such a smooth pro process and uh, our, the first director's cut was, you know, amazing. Um, and so we were lucky on that one, but some, you know, some films sometimes just take a little bit longer in terms of cuts and notes and, and whatnot. That, that seems like it can be a delicate process, giving notes to creatives. I think execs get this rap sometimes of like coming in and, and meddling with things and I think there's like there there's definitely a right way to approach things and a wrong way to approach things sometimes how what have you found works well for you when you're giving notes to a creative well I think at the end of the day you know everyone wants the same exact thing we all want the project to be amazing and to work and be a success um so you know, keeping that in mind um, when going out. And I think, you know, understanding how the project is the creative's baby, right? They they really do get so attached and so close. And you're right, there's such a, you know, a, a line to walk in that maybe you could have a different opinion, but I think it's always important to understand where the creative is coming from and, you know, why they feel that way. And then, you know, having a discussion at the end of the day, what's amazing about making movies is that it's a collaboration. And so having those discussions and talking it out and, you know, thinking what's best for the film and just no matter whose idea it is, you know, going for that. I think it's fascinating, like the, the different roles an exec has to play, whether it's, you know, collaborating with the filmmaker or evaluating scripts. And I think I've always been interested in how, especially in, in the entertainment industry, to me, it seems like there's quite a jump from the assistant level to the executive level. And it doesn't seem like the exec seems like there's a lot of things you have to know how to do. And I don't know if, if as an assistant, like we're always taught those things. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always fascinated by people who can successfully make that jump and transition rather quickly. Cause as an assistant, you know, you're, you are learning from your boss, but your boss is the one doing it. Um, assistants generally speaking, you know, are doing the scheduling and, and reading and stuff like that. But they're not usually the ones actually giving notes to the client. And then suddenly you get promoted and you have to know how to do these things. So how did you find your past experience, whether it was at Universal or WME, helped you, um, as you as you got into this role of creative exec? No, it's such a, such a good point in that I feel like our industry is one of the only industries where you do have that insane jump from being an assistant to all of a sudden, you know, 
making more of the shots or calling the shots, whatever. And it's true. There really isn't like a, a time for your training wheels, which is crazy. I mean, I just got very lucky in having two of the best bosses ever, Robert Newman at WME and Kristen Lowe at Universal, um, were such mentors to me and taught me so much. So that's obviously really helpful. <laughs> um, and, you know, starting out WME, seeing Robert, who I, you know, is one of the best agents in, in this business, seeing, you know, how he dealt with his amazing creative clients was really helpful and reading so much material was so great. And then at Universal, um, Kristen was, you know, she's like the bomb.com. She's <laughs> just watching her work was amazing. And uh, I was lucky that I, I felt like I, I really did have a, uh, there were, there were some projects that we were working on that were a bit smaller. And so maybe they didn't have the creative executive on it. And so I kind of got to jump in and I, I started doing dailies and notes and whatever as an assistant. So that was a really helpful time for me to kind of like fine tune that. Um, and then, you know, when you do become the CE, just making sure that you're not letting yourself get talked into imposter syndrome. I feel like that's a big thing yeah. and people just, uh, you know, allowing voices in their head to get the best of them. And, you know, you're, you're there for, you're at the table for a reason. Right. And so just, you know, being confident in yourself and confident in your ideas to, to, you know, speak up and, you know, take charge. <laughs> yeah. It's comforting to hear that, that that's also true on the exec side. I think like Everyone. as a writer, as a, <laughs> as a writer doing it, I feel that all the time. Um, like I'll, you know, I'll be in a writer's room across from people who've been doing it for decades. And it's like, whoa, this is insane. Why am I here? I, why should I even try when there are people like this person? But, but um, you're absolutely right. You know, you find you find your way into it, and reminding reminding oneself that you're there for a reason has been comforting. Um, so I think I think that's actually a really valuable lesson, and it's interesting to hear that it's true also for execs, not just for us writers. So that, that's good to know. I mean, sometimes I can be in a general meeting, and you know, I'm I'm 25, and I'm in a meeting with this amazing writer or whatnot, and it's like, well, what am I doing here? But I feel like as long as you believe in yourself, others will. And hey, like everyone had a startup somewhere, you know, like, right. So why can't that be us? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I mean, we were talking right now about you had the opportunity to learn from mentors at Universal and WME. Those are pretty big places. And it's, it's, uh, you know, there are so many people, it's like a hub when you're at, when you're at companies like that, there's constantly information coming and going. I'm curious, what's the transition like when you go to Anton, which you know, has multiple offices, as you mentioned, has multiple offices around the world. I, I don't think it's as big as Universal or <laughs> WME, right? So it's right. So it, 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 it strikes me as a bit of a different size company. Was there any adjustment to that? Did you have to make any changes when you were going from a pretty large conglomerate to, to a more contained place? Yeah, it really was a, you know, a, a crazy first couple of weeks when I started at Anton, just adjusting. Um, I think that was one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Anton. I thought it was a really exciting um, place where I could get really involved and have you know my voice be heard. Um, so I was really excited about the opportunity to be at a smaller company, especially since uh, my department was just starting out and the LA office was just being created when I came over. Um, so I thought it would be a great you know idea to go at a company from the start and watch it build. And it's been so amazing to see the company, you know, do such great things. We, last year we shot three films, which was crazy all last summer. Um, we have, you know, several projects that are in development and hopefully will go into prep soon. Um, we have TV shows going on. It, you know, it's, it's been amazing uh, to watch, but 
yeah, I mean, just in terms of communication, it's, it's so different <laughs> being in such a yeah. company. And it's, I think it's, you know, for myself, like been so useful being at a huge company, you know, another huge company at Universal and now such a small company, like getting used to how to deal with people and making sure to, you know, keep everyone in the loop and whatnot. And also just being, um, having the London office is, <laughs> is tough with the hours. Like we were so yeah. accustomed to Zoom before Corona because of that. So dealing with, dealing with the time zone has been a, its own challenge, but yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, great just to get to know everyone super well and work in such a tight unit. Yeah. I think the communication thing is also probably my biggest takeaway from WME. I remember when I, when I ended up moving on to a writer's room, I was just a PA, but they trusted me. Just a PA, then. Uh, production. Sorry, production assistant. I. No, I, I know. I, I, I mean, that it's not just a PA. <laughs> oh, oh. A big deal. Yeah, <laughs> there is. It. It is. It is. Uh. It, it can be tricky to get those jobs. So. So. If and when someone is interested in that position and you're able to get it, it is actually an awesome stepping stone. But I only mean that to say <laughs> I was the low man on the totem pole in that operation, and yet because I had that experience at WME, I was trusted along with the showrunner's assistant to go out and try to find directors who might be available to direct our show. And one, I knew how to do that, a director avail check, because I had been on the other <laughs> side of it at WME. You know what worked and what didn't, right? <laughs> yeah. So I knew, I, you, you learn little things, number one, like if you call between one and two, you're not going to get a response, yeah. right? Because nobody's at their desk. That's like universal lunchtime for the entertainment industry. So that was one, like I always knew I'm not going to get any answers during this hour. Yeah. But I knew if I call it like 205, I'm probably going to get an answer because their boss is probably still at lunch and they're not as, they're not as worried. Right. Um, so they have a second to like actually do diligence instead of just replying, you know, tech avail, which is the, <laughs> the, the cop out way of saying, if you pay us enough money, sure, we can make anything work. Anyway. Not really an answer. No. But anyway, I mean that to say the larger point about communication that I thought was really interesting that I got was, for example, as I was doing this task with the, with the showrunner's assistant of finding directors for our show, let's say we were given five directors to check out. Um, so our showrunner comes to me and says, Ben and Holly, go find, you know, these five directors. Let's pretend in this scenario, you didn't have the WME experience. So what I found was, you know, you would come back and reply to our boss, like Joe is not available. And my boss would be like, great. What about the other four people? Whereas what I learned from WME was like, Joe is not available. Christy is available as of, you know, June 1st. Bob, not avail, and we have, you know, we're waiting to hear back from the reps for Amy and Addison if they're available. And like, now my boss knows that I haven't forgotten about those people and it saves you one extra back and forth exchange, which doesn't seem like a big deal, but oddly enough, like people are so, so people can be so busy and wound up in their own stuff that it's just so comforting sometimes to get those little things right. And I found that that was something that I actually took away from WME that has stayed with me a lot. It's so funny you say that because I totally do that. I never realized it, but you are so right. That is from WME. Is that, you know, make, like making the succinct answers and all the information together. And if you don't know something like saying that you don't know it yet and why you don't know it yet, it's yeah. so true. It really, it really, you know, does come from there. And just to, further to your point, I feel like WME in terms of communication was so great. And like looping in assistance. I feel like that was such a right. thing. Like, you know, so-and-so didn't loop me in or like, it's, just, yeah. it's so important that yeah. that like stays with you for life, like replying off right. and, and whatever, like 
it's yeah you really do learn the fundamentals there yeah and i think the other thing that just came to mind was like when you are presenting something to a boss you want them to have to put as little thought as possible into the answer if you can frame it as a yes or no or just something they need to just simply confirm that's like the best mm -hmm. um, rather than giving them this option and this option and this option just be like confirming this is the best route um, and then they all they have to do is reply yes I think I, <laughs> those were such little things but I found them to actually be hugely helpful ever since I left yeah for sure um, yeah so you know as you're as you're promoting a movie now during the middle of a pandemic <laughs> what are what are the challenges of that and has this crazy year changed your outlook at all and how you evaluate projects or or putting them out like what what uh changes have occurred in your mind since this this crazy year evolved i mean yeah it really is such a crazy uh, pivotal time in in this industry i think it's it's kind of amazing i think we're gonna look back on this year in 10 20 years and be like you know this was the you know started the change for whatever happens um right. in terms of greenland uh so yeah i don't know if you said yet but it's on pvod 20 dollars to rent and then in april it'll go on hbo max um internationally it was uh it, or it's playing in some theaters it, it started in the summer it was going to be in theaters in the u.s obviously with corona getting pushed um but yeah it's, i mean look at the end of the day people want to watch content and i think that's what this time has shown us even more so right. you know like people want to watch good things and they're willing to pay and they're willing to do things to, to watch that content. Um, being at Anton is great because we are so flexible. We're distribution agnostic. So that means that we can, you know, we have a sales team. We can do uh, like the traditional sales model. We can sell it to a streamer. We can sell it to a studio. So we're very flexible, which is fantastic. Um, I think that's, you know, an important you know, thing to be moving forward. Um, and kind of like what we were saying earlier, just why does this need to be theatrical? Does this need to be in the theaters? You know, in terms of ev evaluating material, just always keeping that in mind. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm forgetting the rest of your question, but I think I answered it. No, that, that's a good point. <laughs> it's like, how, how has the pandemic changed your approach? And, you know, does, does something need to be released in theaters? Is it is super intriguing to me, especially now that we've heard that HBO Max is going to move their whole theatrical slate to uh, to uh, Warner Brothers their HBO. platform, right? Sorry, war sorry, that's what I meant. Right, Warner Brothers is moving their whole theatrical slate to yeah. streaming. Um, so Wonder Woman, which was something you would have had to see in theaters, you can now watch in the comfort of your own home. Obviously, that has bigger business ramifications. But from a creative standpoint, what I find really interesting is I was reading how Netflix they found the queen's gambit originally as a feature mm -hmm. and they went back and had the writer craft it as a limited series and it went on to become their most successful scripted limited series ever mm -hmm. so i think that's really interesting is like when you see something now and and wonder okay is the best outlet for this two and a half hours in a movie theater or is this something that creatively makes more sense to to play out over multiple episodes as a, as a series. Is that something that, that you've also been considering, you know, seeing feature projects and saying this might be 
better crafted as a TV series or vice versa? Or has that not really come into play quite yet for you? Totally. Oh, and I, I don't even think that's, you know, Corona related, but that, that's always been yeah. a conversation, um, especially when you look at early stage material. So if we get a book in, you know, does this, should this book be a TV series? Should it be a limited series? Should it be a movie? Thinking from that from the start. And there, there has been a couple of things where we've, you know, looked at the, we've gotten a future and, and have been like, this would be a really great TV show and kind of gone down that path. Um, and Penn does, you know, we finance film and television. So we have that flexibility uh, to, you know, always change whatever we're looking at into what we want. Right. Um, but it, it really is interesting in terms of viewing patterns. Um, you know, I feel like limited series are in their renaissance right now. <laughs> People yeah. are, are loving, you know, knowing that they don't have to watch so many hours of television that they'll they'll get it they it's not so short that they it'll it'll last them a week but then they get to finish it um so it, yeah it really is an interesting time and going forward we'll, i'm interested to see if that you know that stays <laughs> yeah and then when it comes to tv versus film are there huge differences in your process or is it as an exec or is it fairly similar you know same same responsibilities of collaborating with a filmmaker and a showrunner is it is it pretty similar or have you found somewhat significant differences in the process of developing features versus tv on the exec side it's tough i think i think that it you know it depends on the project but the overall i would say they're very different um which is has always been so funny to me because at the end of the day it's you know both content right there it should be yeah. similar but just the processes are so different in terms of how to get it made tv usually moves much quicker um and in terms of development uh like just for an example usually when you you know go to pitch something so let's say you you know you wrote a script and i'm producing it or whatever and i'm i take it to netflix um, usually you would have maybe just the pilot written, maybe the series overview. Usually you don't have, you know, the whole season written that, right. you know, things totally change, whatever. With a feature, you would like most definitely have it written. <laughs> so right. sometimes you can, it's kind of crazy. Like you can be pitching, uh, a TV show and sometimes you don't even know where it's going to end up. You know, obviously you have an idea, but right. without writing it, things could change and whatnot. Um, yeah not, you know, not uh, forgetting pitches. Obviously, so TV and film, you can always, you know, sell pitches, which is when you just have the idea nothing's written and then you sell it to a distributor and they, they finance the development. Um, but in, you know, in today's age, pitches are always a lot harder to sell than things that are written. Yeah, yeah, the bar is definitely higher. That's a good point though, pitches. You, I, are you on both sides? Because I, I imagine sometimes you get pitched too, and then other times you have to pitch projects places. Is that right? Yeah. So, so for example, we can get a, since you know we're a financier, people will come to us with pitches, and then we decide if we want to finance the development. And then usually, I mean, you know, never say never. We we always are open to anything. But usually, we we when we go to a distributor to you know sell it, it, it would already we would we would have the script, we would have the package or where we, you know, shot the movie. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're usually selling it at a much later stage. So it's not so much right. a release each pitch. It's more like here, watch the movie and tell us what you think. Or like, yeah. for example, we sold Night House at uh, Sundance last year to Searchlight Pictures. So that was, you know, an already finished movie. Um, and yeah. <laughs> so what are, what are some traits of successful pitches when, when you're being pitched to? 
What are some things you notice that successful pitches have in common, if anything? Well, you know, ultimately the story really is important. So <laughs> whether, it, whether it's an interesting story, um, the, you know, the writer's engagement um, can help a lot just to, you know, how excited they are about the project. Um, uh, a clear, you know, beginning, middle and end. I think a really great yeah. pitch uh, is a representation of what the script will be. Um, you know, sometimes we can get pitches where it's a bit too loose, like there's not, an, you know, enough of a story there. It's a little bit too much like, oh, we'll figure this out later. <laughs> and, it, you know, you kind of want to know like what you're going to be spending your money on. So yeah. <laughs> like having as much detail as possible in terms of the story and the plot beats and the character evolution. Yeah, I've always found the pitching process so crazy because it's like writers generally speaking, you know, are people who are at their best when they're in the room typing. And then they have to go out and and try to woo people right. with their with their charisma, right? They have to find a well of charisma magically and then try to woo you with their story. But I think there's something to be said about what you're saying where putting that aside for a second, if you have confidence in your story, if you're pitching and you have confidence in your story, that really goes a long way. You know, because when when someone is approaching you, they're essentially asking you for a multi-million dollar investment. So if you ask them a question and they're like, eh, I don't know, I haven't thought about that. You know, like, sorry, you're not going to get a multi-million dollar investment on that response. So I think I think that's really worth stressing. Taking aside like the, the anxiety and neurosis that might come with being in the room pitching to an exec. I think if just if one were to like hone in on the story side of it, that is probably going to be, it sounds like the strongest, the strongest, most important part of the pitch. And what's comforting, I think, yeah. And what's comforting is like, if you are able to find the same wavelength with an exec, then you have that ally as you go into like the deeper stages of, of feature film development. And I think that's really helpful when a filmmaker or a writer, you know, is on the same page with you and you, you can say like, well, you know, you're pitching me this thing. This is great. Let's take this somewhere else and, and you can talk through things together. And it's then no longer just that person alone. They have an ally, which I think is super valuable. I mean, yeah, just going back to what we were saying earlier, like at the end of the day, our sole job is to make a good movie. And that is yeah. everyone on the movie's sole job. Um, so I, I mean, I've been so lucky to be working with writers that are super collaborative and super, you know, understanding and and smart and, and great <laughs> and so I, I i you know i definitely have heard horror stories of you know it being like an exec versus writer type of thing but it's to me it's like we're all just people at the end of the day we all have opinions it's like talking out your opinion to see what makes the most sense but that's really at the end of the day like what our job is yeah yeah and i think uh like you said you know we all we all want it to be good nobody wants it to be bad nobody set out to make a bad movie like even the worst movie you've ever seen right. everybody involved worked really hard on it and did not foresee it right. being a bad film so i think i think that's important to keep in mind for sure so we'll wrap up with some fun rapid fire questions firstly what's an app that you can't live without pre-corona ways now during corona tiktok <laughs> <laughs> who would you like to play you in a movie about your life Lady Gaga. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one skill or ability, what would it be? To not have to sleep. Where's a place you haven't been to yet that you hope to visit? Antarctica. And what's a song you like to jam to? We have a Spotify playlist where we add each of our guest song recommendations. So if you have a song that you're jamming to that you'd like to contribute, what would that be? 
Oh, that's awesome. I've just been listening to so much Christmas music right now that I would say any Mariah Carey Christmas song. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> and uh, where can people learn more about Anton and your slate and keep up with you? Well, obviously check out Greenland on PVOD. It's really great. I promise you'll enjoy it. Um, and yeah, we have a website want to check it out <laughs> awesome perfect and if anyone's curious about the pod you can check us out on instagram at hdydpod holly thank you so much this was super fun thank you so much it was great catching up and seeing you <laughs>